You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Our guest today is a fellow by the name of J.P. Morgan. Now, J.P. is a unique and inspiring human. The Authenticity team took a road trip to his studio in Santa Monica, California, and had a truly amazing conversation. Check it out. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce our audience to J.P. Morgan, who is a person who I met recently through James Tripp and has inspired me ever since. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Carlos. You know, I, I have been following you on Facebook, mm. watching your videos. I've seen articles and things on LinkedIn from you. And ever since I met you, I have felt um, inspired and um, motivated to work mm. on myself at a deeper mm. level. And one of the things that really impresses me, I'm going to share with you right now, it's the way that you open yourself up to show who you are to others. And you use, seem to use that as a tool, that authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. And the nakedness of your heart, that you, you reveal who you are and you use whatever it is that's going on as a tool, as, as grist for the mill, as something that um, you then turn around into a teaching tool. So I would just love to pick your brain today about that. Mm. Oh, I'd love to talk about it. That's so present for me right now for a number of reasons as well. And how you articulated it was really helpful for me. So yeah, let's do it. How did you start to uh, find that you could, you know, in this day and age with where there's so much privacy concern and there's mm-hmm. you know embarrassment and people, public humiliation and things like that. How did you decide in yourself that you would um, almost aggressively attack your aggressively own life? Aggressively authentic. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how did you get to that point where you're like, I'm going to just be as honest and open with people as possible. I don't know, because the way you ask it, it makes it sound like there was a point where I decided, fuck this, I'm going to go the other way. Uh, but it doesn't. Uh-huh. I don't even have a memory of making a shift. I feel like I started down the path a long time ago, and I just and it just diverged, and that's just the way I've always kind of went. And, it, and the longer time has gone by, the more it's gone that way. I remember, I mean, I was... Um, kind of a computer geek and like I was on the first ever social media site, which nobody will have heard of. It was called makeoutclub.com. If you look in <laughs> Wikipedia, social media, uh-huh. literally you had to email your information to this guy, like, who am I? And then he'd post it up HTML on a website. And then later it became MySpace and Facebook and all these things. He was also out of Boston. Um, and so ever since that, like it was in the nineties, like just sharing myself and putting, I was just fascinated with, if I put me out there, what, what comes back? Um, and so I, you know, and as I got more and more interested in self-mastery, I just saw that as a great context for my own growth. So I think it just, you know, it diverged and it's just always been that way. And that, and I think since I become a, became aware of it, it's like more of that, please, more of that. How much deeper can I go? I love when you were speaking, I was thinking about giving a public talk because it was like, I love using that as a context for my own edge, like leaning into how can I expose myself more as a way of creating more right now? Yeah. Well, you're, you're really good at it. And it's one of the first things that I noticed about you was that mm. uh, it seemed like you were purposely putting yourself in a position of, um, I don't even know what's next. I just know that I'm going to be present with this flow that's happening and I'm going to share that flow 
uh, as honestly as I can, and it's compelling. Mm. I have to, you know, tell you that Thank you. that when I listen to that, it it speaks to me. You know, it makes my uh, my nervous system switch on. Like I want to mm. hear everything you're saying mm. because um, I feel like I'm right there with you in your thoughts. The way you include, you know, mm. the, the conversations that you you do, those little uh, Instagram videos that mm-hmm. you do, or the little talks. It's almost as if I'm being invited into your head mm. on a journey mm. of whatever it is that you're telling me. Mm. So I feel like it's personal. I say me. I know you're, you're speaking to a whole audience, but it feels like it's just me. Well, that's really good that you see that you feel it that way. Like I was just coaching my my apprentice group this week, and one of them has a some public talks coming up, and it's like, how do I create clients from these talks? And it's like thinking about like what's the pitch or the hook or whatever. And I was like, when I do a public talk, I literally am speaking to one person at a time in the room. And so when I look at this person, I'm speaking to them. And when I shift my eyes three seconds later and look at that person, I'm speaking to them. And I'm literally having a one-to-one conversation. Just the, the, the body of the person is changing moment by moment. And because of that, I can look out and I can feel that I want to have more one-to-one with this person. I don't have time. So I start to express my desire to have more of a one-on-one conversation. And born from that is people having an interest in having that. And then we end up having one-to-one conversations later. So, And then that can lead to business for me or for whoever is speaking. And it's, so it's like that one-to-oneness that you're feeling isn't it isn't like manufactured it's just it is what i'm doing i Mm -hmm. am speaking to you when i'm making the video Mm -hmm. i'm always holding somebody in my mind i probably have made one thinking of you but there's always somebody that i'm speaking to and and i think it makes a difference when you when you hold that intent when you when you're genuinely doing that you know like people all the time will like be like i can't make videos but then they're on facetime for an hour just being themselves right and so like what's the difference you know, there's still a camera. It's the only difference is what do I think that I'm doing right now? Yeah. You know, that's beautiful. Cause you know, they always say in a, in a speech class, every person in the audience feels like they're the only one that you're speaking to anyway. Mm. And so you're actually doing it. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. You know, I want to echo what Carlos said when I've seen some of your, uh, your videos, I felt like the emotions that came up in you when you were telling your honest stories mm. that, um, I also felt like I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen. And maybe you didn't really know what was going to happen. I absolutely did not know. Yeah. And there's something about that that um, really resonates in a person's heart, so to Mm. speak. You know, like if if you are showing some real emotion for a moment and you're going to say, well, I'm just going to crack the shell open and just let everybody see it, Mm. right? Then it has to resonate that same emotion in the people that are listening that Mm -hmm. are witnessing Mm -hmm. what it is that you're saying and there's something about that that i think is is rather transformative Mm. yeah i really like that so when you when you talk about it that way it's really easy to look that and hear and think like what i have to do then is is do the thing that's going to have the bigger impact out there and i think that people can often hear it that way and then it it may be true but you know i was invited to cambridge university some years ago um because they wanted to study me and the impact that my speaking had on people. And they were studying this thing called charismatic leadership. And and basically they wanted to study the, the influence that my way of speaking had. And so they had me do two of the exact same talks um, with the difference of that in the second time I did the talk, I had to reduce my charismaticness. Ooh. And so they gave me a list of things not to do. Like, don't move too much. Don't have your voice go up and down, da, 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 da. And I said, I get that, but I actually know there's one really easy way to not be charismatic. And it's to think about myself instead of the people in the room. 
because when I really put myself in a place of like, I'm everything that's in me is for them. Then what happens is anything that comes up in my mind that, well, what about me? Or if I say this, what about me? Or should I say this? That's all inner referenced. All those, all that becomes an obstacle to like the unfolding of what is what I'm feeling and seeing and then speaking. But when I'm like, I'm everything is I'm here for them. Everything I'm feeling, it's like I made a prioritization, and my prioritization is that this stuff is for them, and and who I am is not going to be relevant. And so it's like a choice, a choice to that the unfolding of spirit is my highest contribution. And so I'm going to speak whatever is there because I've already made the decision at the beginning that for the next 45 minutes, whatever's there is for them. Like I'm not, I'm not getting involved. Mm. And so I think where my focus is has a big determining factor on who, on, on how that comes across. And so for the second talk at Cambridge, all I did was just choose to think about myself. And literally for like five minutes before people, when people were filing in, I just started thinking, what if I don't do this right? What if I don't do it right for the researchers? Like, what are they going to think of me? Are they going to like, because it's not going to be as good. They're not going to like me. Is word going to get around? Like, is it going to get on social? And I just like intentionally went inward and it just, my palms were genuinely sweating. And then of course the talk sucked, same content, but different way of being. And so, yeah. That's so funny. I was just going to ask you about that. I mean, and that that leads into the next thing I was actually going to talk to you about, which is I feel that you're a very intuitive person. Mm. You know, you, you're spending a lot of time paying attention to how you feel in the moment, but Mm -hmm. you're also, um, you seem to be taking in a lot of sensory data Mm -hmm. all the time. Whereas I see a lot of people who spend time inside themselves, Mm. they may have good things to say and and smart things to say, but Mm they're not as in touch with the timing and the rhythms of what's going on around them. Mm. So I always feel that with you, even over the phone, that you're paying attention. Mm. And it's nice. It's, mm. a, it's, it's nice to be seen, nice to be heard. But also what happens is you end up saying things that are uh, seemingly right in touch with the moment. Mm. And that feels um, intuitive to me. Mm. Do you feel that, that your intuition grows as you do this? Oh, yeah, for sure it grows. And, and the way you just, the distinction you just created is something that this year I'm exploring collapsing into one thing. And so the distinction of like hearing the inner voice and then, um, you know, noticing the outer voice, we could say, I'm, I'm, my year this year is the year of surrender. So I have a theme every year. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I've been really good at surrendering to the inner voice. And so what I'm working on this year is to stop differentiating the flow of life in me from the flow of life out there. And so I'm looking at circumstances and happenings um, for more synchronicities. And so I'm looking to do even more of what you're, thank you for, for complimenting and for what you said, but be even, even more attentive to what's unfolding out there uh-huh. as, as meaningful as what's unfolding in me. Mm. And, and, you know, those two things have a relationship. Like, so somebody's walking down the street and, some, and I see them and I feel nothing. And then somebody else is walking down the street and, and I see them and I feel something that it's still, they're still related. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm just infatuated with this idea that like maybe, uh, you know, the stuff that's happening around me has as much meaning as the stuff that is feeling true inside me. Mm-hmm. So it's an exploration. Totally awesome. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. So this is the year of surrender. It is, yeah. Wow. So you have a theme every year. Every year, yeah. Could, would you mind sharing some other themes that yeah, you've used sure. or yeah. some future themes? Oh, that you might good question. Yeah. yeah, I've had the year of money. I've had the year of the body, um, the year of the world, uh, year of miracles. Um, and the other thing with my themes is that um, at the beginning of the year, I have an idea of what it is, but it's really also an exploration of that theme for the year. Like by the end of the year, I'm going to know what it means a lot more. Um, and I also decide that it's going to be the primary thing for me. So at any point in the year, I was like, what am I, what am I doing? What am I about? Well, just go back to my theme. 
That's one thing too. And so it's my driving purpose. And also it's the path through which I create everything in my life that year. So for the year of the body, it was like, I'm gonna make my body primary and I'm not gonna sacrifice everything else. Like my business is gonna go through my body. My relationship is gonna grow through my body. Um, so the year of surrender, what I know right now is what I just said about surrendering to the flow of life, both in me and outwardly. Um, but it's also going to take on so much more meaning throughout the year. So ask me again in December. Wow. Yeah. This is only January. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to see how it unfolds. How does that come to you? Do, do you do a process or is it, you know, how do you figure out what your year is? I just be? start asking myself around the beginning of December about uh-huh. like, what, what is it for next year? What if I feel called to? And then you know, something just emerges, mm. you know, it goes back to the intuition piece. I'll share a really great practice. My teacher gave to me, John Wineland, when I was working uh, with him and uh, I did a little private retreat out in Joshua Tree, just got like an Airbnb and a trailer out there. It was nice. awesome. Nice. I drank a lot of water and peed in the dirt for a lot, but I just sat. And so the practice was um, to sit, wake up in the morning and sit in a chair or sit on the floor or whatever. And sit there until you know that there's something that's absolutely true for you to do. Get up, do that, and then come back to sitting. Um, and for me, that was a pra- that practice. One of the greatest things that it brought to light for me was um, a distinction between what I would call impulse and intuition. Mm-hmm. So this intuition comes to me in the form of thought too, but it has a different quality to it. There's a depth to it. It's got a deeper resonance, and there's a persistence to it. So I might have the thought like, oh, I should make some eggs. And then the thought goes away. Or I might have a thought that's like, oh, I should go pee. Well, you don't really have to pee. But it's just like, these are just thoughts that are coming. Yeah. Then it's like, read Emerson. It's like, hmm, that's weird. Just let it go. And it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe I should, maybe I should, maybe I should. Read Emerson. And it's like, there's a, and it keeps, it keeps coming. It doesn't go anywhere. And it comes from a deeper place. And so then, okay, it's time to read Emerson. I'd get up and I'd open, I brought a book and I read Lecture for the Divinity School by Emerson. And, uh, and I'd never read it before because I brought the book because it had self-reliance in it, which is my favorite. But at the, at the back, it had this other essay. And it was so profound for me at that moment. It was like a major insight for me. And just went back to sitting. So, you know, I did that for like three or four days. Uh, and it was an awesome practice. Wow. It's that like a truth practice. Awesome. Yeah. I know. Isn't that? <laughs> That's a great yeah. idea. So you basically, wow. um, you demarcate out a time and you force yourself to or choose to sit and identify the difference between your thoughts and something that's deeper, deeper, some truth. And then you true. follow that truth. You act on it act immediately. On it. And then you come right back to sitting because every action can lead to other actions. Like oh, I should read Emerson. And then while you're reading, you're like, oh, I'll read another thing. It's like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. The, the intuitive action was that. So come back. So wow. it's, you start to get a distinction between like impulsive thoughts and actual intuition and also what i find and this just goes back through you know all of my life is that the more we act on our intuition the louder that voice gets it's kind of like oh you're listening and pay attention right. okay i guess i'll give you more information yeah 
And so I th- it's a it's a great practice to do as a retreat, but also you could do it as a you know we wake up in the morning. What is your first thing you're going to do, and you do it from that place. Yeah, that makes that makes good sense. Uh, I tell my clients sometimes that um, if you don't start by developing a relationship with your unconscious, that it's not going to give you the answers you want. Mm. So why not let one of the very first things you do be a meditation where you go in and you say thank you, and you can you know maybe picture your unconscious mind as a as a younger part of you that is really powerful and develop the relationship. Say, hey, I'm listening to you. I'm grateful for what you're doing for me. And I'm going to listen to you more than ever now. And I'm sorry if I didn't, you know, apologize for the times you've, you know, maybe ignored it or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and just develop, treat it like it's a real living, feeling part of you, because it is. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about, um, you know, when someone thanks you genuinely for what you do, you feel like doing something for them again. Mm. But if someone doesn't appreciate it, maybe not. Yeah. You know, you might feel... Like ah maybe that you know my efforts are are worthless to this person so maybe I should focus on where they aren't worthless yeah so if you if you say thanks when you remember your keys as you walk out the door mm-hmm. instead of saying damn it I forgot you know mm. and I'm always forgetting things well that's beating yourself up but if you're if you're to say hey thanks mm. and then you can perhaps move forward to next time I'd like to remember that before I leave the house yeah but it's more positive and you're 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 basically giving yourself feedback that's positive. And the, and the crux of that, you know, what you just said years ago, I would have thought, oh, that sounds silly. But yeah. at the, but it does. At the core, <laughs> it, but at the core of it is this idea that your, your mind is like this separate entity that you can have a relationship with. Yeah. And if you don't buy into that, then that whole thing sounds useless. Right. And I used to not buy into that, but now I just have experienced it as so true that has come to life for me so much. And once you really relate to your mind as like a living entity that you can have a relationship with, then you can apply anything, you know, that's great for a relationship to that. Like all that stuff you were sharing, and it yeah. works really well. There's a, have you ever seen the funny video about like the woman that has the nail in her forehead and the guy that's yes. talking to her? Yes. So <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a great one. So uh-huh. maybe you can Call link to humor, it for right? people that haven't seen it because it's yeah. so funny. Yeah, but um, well, I had an insight the other day. I was out for a run. I had watched that video recently, and I was like, the way that he relates to her finally, so it has her relax. I was like, wow, that's actually the way that I should relate to my own thinking. If I can relate to my thoughts in a way where I'm just listening, I'm just here, I'm not judging the thoughts, I'm not commenting on them, I'm just letting them come and then pass, then they actually, they go away, right? Like yeah. the agitated thoughts. But if yeah. I'm trying to like, oh, I shouldn't think that, and da, 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 then it just, it's like I have that same tension between that they had between them, but in, within myself. Mm-hmm. So it's again about the relationship mm-hmm. to our own mind. What a great gentle. metaphor. Yeah. 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 You know, I was going to say that um, this this discussion about that practice that you described where you sat in the chair until you had mm. some kind of, you know, important impulse or something. Um, and this talk about intuition and all that mm-hmm. uh, reminds me that in the, in the Buddhist system of looking at the mind and the body, uh, you have your five senses. Mm-hmm. But then in Buddhism, the sixth sense is what they call the mind sense. Mm. So just like if you have ears and they're functioning ears you're going to hear whatever arises in the environment. If there's a pin drop, if there's a a bee buzzing in the environment, you hear it. Regardless of whether you want to hear it, it's there, it's input. And the same with your eyes and your skin and your nose, Mm -hmm. you know. uh, But the mind sense is doing something similar. It is generating thought impulses. Mm. So you can sit there and the mind sense will say, here's a thought, Mm. here's a thought, here's a thought. And just like some of those senses are not important others are 
You know, like I might be sitting here in this room right now and I see all these things because this light is pouring through my eyes. Some of them are more important than others. Mm -hmm. You know, like I see the floor, I see cables, I look look across and I see, oh, these two wonderful people that I'm having a conversation. That's important. And so the mind sense will sometimes give you something that's important and sometimes not. Mm -hmm. But I think what's interesting about it is that when we don't think of the mind as a sense, when we think of it as me, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, why would I think that? Oh, Mm -hmm. why can I not shut this thought off? Mm -hmm. Why I I want to think about these other things instead. Mm. We tend not to do that with the other senses. Mm. We just go, hey, the eyes see what the eyes see and the ears hear what they hear, Mm. you know? And I think it's neat that you are following a practice that, is, is starting to pay attention to what that sense is offering because mm. some of those things are important because yeah. they're coming from somewhere. Yeah, people become wrapped up in thinking that their their mind is them when in fact there's something else other than the thoughts mm. that you are that goes beyond that. Mm. So yeah. what is that? Yeah. But it, until you can become an observer and capable of really listening or hearing, seeing, experiencing whatever it is it's giving you, you will feel um, locked into the idea that you are it. You're identifying with the thought rather than observing the thought, listening to the thought, using the thought. Yeah. We don't make the mistake of believing that everything we see is us. Yeah. I mean, I'm not talking big esoteric here. I'm talking right. small esoteric. Right. <laughs> and I think that's so fundamental to being authentic for me. Uh-huh. If, if As long as I'm embedded and I'm subject to this idea that who I think, what, what I think is who I am, then being authentic is really hard. But if I can be object to that and I can step back and I can witness it and I can see all this thinking that's unhappening, mm-hmm. then being authentic becomes really easy because it's not me. It's just this shit that's happening inside this body that I happen to be stuck in. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so yeah. like, why not share it? Who cares? Like, it's not who I am. It's just this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's profound. If more people could... Um, realize that the things that are going on, like the anxiety and the fear and the rage and all that kind of stuff, the the less they identify with themselves being that and the more Mm -hmm. they recognize it as a behavior, Mm -hmm. it seems like the more uh, self-control, the more learning, the more healing could happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I am not my depression. Right. You know, that kind of thing. It's similar. Gosh, what a great conversation this is being. Already. And you know what? Um, I have so many things to ask you. And one of them I was just thinking popped in. The thought that came, right, (laughs) was um, that we should cover maybe one of the elephants in the room, Mm. which is people are going to immediately know the name J.P. Morgan and wonder, hey, is that connected? You know, how Mm. is this connected to this person we're interviewing? So could you speak on that? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not a descendant of J.P. Morgan or the banking dynasty. And uh, but my name, full name is John Patrick Morgan, Jr. So Mm -hmm. my father's name is John Patrick Morgan. Mm -hmm. He gave me his name. and I never really aff- affiliated myself with that or associated myself with that. I didn't even know much about it. I'm not from the banking world. I like money and I've had a you know, you know, real estate career and stuff like that. But, um, but the name John Morgan, when I introduced myself in business, it's kind of like John Doe, like people don't remember it. And so mm. I started putting the P in my, John P. Morgan. And, um, and I had a, uh, and I also have ha- I've been called JP by clients and friends, like people have just kind of called me that as a nickname as mm-hmm. well. So it kind of half the people. And then one of my mentors is like, what's up with the P? He's like, <laughs> and I was like, and then he was asking me about JP Morgan and then, and you know, they just, I just started to follow the thread and start to get curious or read about JP Morgan. And then I read the, the book, the house of Morgan, which is the history of banking uh-huh. from basically the beginning until now told through the fam, the Morgan family, it's their story. 
And actually, it was so inspiring. Like J.P. Morgan was, and I'm sure those people have different opinions, but when I, you know, from what I've read, like back then, bankers were considered the pinnacle of integrity in society. You know, their word was their bond. Character is credit. This is all stuff that came from the banking industry. Like he did deals with eye contact and a handshake that sh- that saved the economy, and um, and so I huh. found that to be really inspiring. And also, just from a professional sense, when I say my name is J.P. Morgan, which it is, but when I say it that way, people will remember it. And so mm. I've just decided to go with the flow of that and, and, and to use it that way. And, and it seems to work for me because people don't forget anymore. Nice. And I also like, and now I'm also trying to, you know, I'm rooting in that name a little bit, like drawing on some of the energy. Because for me, a, a radical integrity is a kind of a big aspect of my work. Uh-huh. We could say authenticity. It's, there's a lot of overlap there. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and also just leaning more on the name Morgan instead of the, my first name and mm-hmm. looking at the history of the Morgan name, you know, there is a point at which JP Morgan, the banker and my name will connect back in Wales uh, much in, a long time ago. And, and there's a long history of very successful people and uh, ocean going like s- people on the sea and stuff like that. So it's just looking at the uh, ancestry and, and, and drawing on the energy of it. Nice. Yeah. Well, and, and I really would like to hear um, if you wouldn't mind sharing about mm. your uh, journey to where you are today. Like I know that you've had, um, you've told me a little bit here and there about health challenges you've had and mm. things that you've worked through and, um, the blessings you've had to come to and work hard for. Mm. Um, but if you could share a little bit about kind of how it was for you and then how it caused you to be who you are today. Cause I know a lot of bad things or uncomfortable things, challenging mm. things force us to be different and it, it can be very positive in the end. Yeah. So can you share some of that? Yeah. Well, I think maybe what you're alluding to is being do- diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was in my twenties. Um, I think I'd, well, I hadn't been out of university for very long and I started going blind in my left eye one day and mm-hmm. I was like, this is weird. And then a couple of days later I was like totally blind and I remember like being scared and frustrated. I went to the, like the eye doctor and they were having me read the chart and she kept asking me if I can see this letter or that letter. I ended up yelling at her. I was like, I told you I can't fucking see anything lady. <laughs> I was like, Whoa, I'm yelling at the doctor. Something's, something's off here. Anyway, I found out that it was optic neuritis and had an MRI and they found like, legions on my brain. And, um, it scared me. I remember telling my parents I'm fine cause they were there and then they, then they got in their car and left and I just sat in my car in the parking lot and cried cause I didn't know much about it, you know, but I knew uh, from what the doctor said, she said, well, you could be fine or, you know, you might wake up paralyzed tomorrow. I was like, fuck, it was heavy. Wow. And so it's a crazy disease. My mom has it too, um, because it could be anything from not so much to, to, to could kill you basically. Mm-hmm. And my ex-girlfriend's mother passed through multiple sclerosis and as, as well. You, as you know, Satch's wife uh, has yeah. MS. Oh, yes. okay. I didn't yes. know that. Yeah. Okay. And her sister. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so, you know, you oh, know how yeah. challenging the I disease sure it can be. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty heavy and, uh, and I, but it didn't take me too long to just kind of, I don't know, philosophically just look at it and see that I was okay right now. The optic neuritis was going away through the, you know, I got some steroid injections and, and, uh, I'm okay right now. And pretty much I'm in the same position as everybody again, because although I may wake up paralyzed tomorrow, you may get run over by a bus, mm-hmm. you, you know, mm-hmm. you may get shot and like, yeah. who knows? So I'm going to live every day, you know, carpe diem and, and just as much as I enjoy it as much as I could. Mm-hmm. But I think it's always there in the background. Like we all know that we're mortal, but when it's like mortal plus MS, it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's like an extra reminder. Yeah. And so I think it just lives in me as like a, as a, as a reason to embrace the moment even more. Yeah, it's it's certainly in in my life and my wife's life. Uh, MS has certainly focused the lens of our attentiveness to the present moment mm. as well. 
um, we all know that we're, we're going to die. Mm. We all know this. But when you're faced with something, you know, a diagnosis of that magnitude, um, it helps you live your life as though um, you're being realistic about our ultimate yeah. fate. Like you're you know? really going to die. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, <laughs> like we're not this, kidding. This is going to happen, guys, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Right? But, but, uh, but, but what's... I mean, it's tough. It's difficult. Mm. At the same time, though, the uh, enhanced appreciation for human connection and love and moments and opportunities. Like, um, you know, I, I have lots of memory. I, I'm getting goosebumps now just talking mm. about it. I, I have lots of memories that I wouldn't have had had I not been paying better attention because of my wife's situation. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you, you lay your head on her chest. I lay my head on her chest and I think, oh, I, I need to remember this moment right mm. now because mm. this is good. You know, yeah, more presence, and so there's yeah. more of those moments, mm. and so um, I'm not saying it's a blessing. No, I haven't gone that far yet. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, I'm not saying it's a blessing, but um, but I'm saying that it has blessings. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, and well that's said. that's been useful. I think it also has kind of oriented me around like just reflecting now, like optimal living as opposed to yeah, like living. You know, like, you most next. people think about like, oh, it's not going to kill you. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. It's not going to kill me. I want to know what's going to keep me alive the longest and the healthiest and have the most longevity and right. the best energy, Yeah, really optimizing everything. And so that, you know, and, and that's been my attention with my health. It's like, what's not going to, I don't care what's not going to kill me. I want to know what's going to make me the, the most elite, healthy person I can possibly be and orient around that. Nice. nice. You made some pretty serious diet changes, right? Yeah, yeah, massive. Yeah, yeah. It's been through stages, but um, even just this today, I'm starting another challenge to take my diet to an even more elite level and to be even healthier. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say paleo because I don't prescribe to that completely, but definitely a whole food diet. Uh-huh. Um, you know, less grain, no processed foods, very, very, very clean. Um, and, you know, basically veg and meat and protein and um, fruit and uh, some nuts and seeds in moderation. Um, but now I'm just even not looking at macro ratios and just leaning a little bit more towards the veg and a little bit less animal protein, but mm-hmm. always organic, grass-fed, every, you know, the cleanest it can be. Do you give yourself a cheat day or that? Yeah, that yeah. It's not like flex, a defined day. Room. It's a bit, it's like, like you know, not 80-20, it's like 90-10. Like we're just yeah. date night or... You just sit in a chair until you get a... a yeah, just sit in a chair until it's time to eat. No. It's time to have a glass <laughs> yeah. of scotch. Yeah. <laughs> Listening to the Authenticity Show with your hosts Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Up next, Carlos and Satch continue their conversation with J.P. Morgan. And man, the pearls of wisdom just keep on coming. had this diagnosis you um shifted your focus somewhat right you Mm. you became more um honed would that be correct that you you put more energy in refining who you are and focusing what you're here to do certainly in my health at that point but it was also you know um so there i guess there was two things it was like that i'm gonna hone and be really great at my health 
So it was a real, I hadn't really focused that much on it. I was in my early mid twenties. Did, you know, wasn't really a thing until then. And then the other thing was like, I'm just not going to waste any time experiencing life. I used to say all the time, life is experienced. The more you have, the more you live. And so that was just my uh, orientation. I was, you know, probably mid to late twenties, a few years later, I guess I had done pretty well in real estate. And so had the knowing that I wanted to travel. So I just packed everything up and I took off and I lived out of a backpack for three years. And I just did that until, wow, it wasn't true for me anymore. Um, probably I did it until six months after it wasn't true for me anymore, but it had become a little bit habitual by that point and it took me some time to like really catch that I was still just doing it now habitually and not really truthfully anymore. Mm-hmm. But, um, it was amazing, amazing training for my intuition because for three years, I bought only one-way tickets. I didn't make any commitments to anywhere. And so it was like, what is, what's next for me? What would I love? If I see a pamphlet for Granada and Barcelona and it feels true, then I went to Granada. And then there's some women at a cafe talking to me. And, okay, we talk. And then we're going to dinner. Okay, well, I guess I'll go with you to dinner. And then, oh, this is flamenco show at a bar. I guess I'll go there. And that's where I met my girlfriend that, that I ended up dating for many years. And, and so it's like just followed the thread of my my inner knowing and resonance with things happening out there. And... Yeah, it was really great. What an exciting prospect. Yeah. So while it was um, really lit up in your consciousness um, and you were getting a lot out of it in the early stage, what were some of the, the, the major themes of things that you got from that? Like by following all those threads and having these probably, I'm assuming, magical experiences, yeah, many. Yeah. many of them. Tell us some highlights of that. You mean highlight experiences or like learnings, lessons, experiences? Yeah. A distinction that I can that I can see in hindsight is living life from possibility instead of probability. Possibility instead of probability. So the thing is that most of us are taught that me, that the better we are at determining the probability of something, the more success we're going to have. Uh, and actually, it's true within the realm, within the frame of probability. If you're better at making deci- decisions that can lead to more more probable outcomes, you can understand it better, or you can analyze the statistical chances better, then you're going to get more success. Mm-hmm. And so if you put people on a track and you say, go, you know, and then you make the best decisions based on the probability, they're going to create a certain level of success. Um, and it looks like success. But the thing is, the other way of living, the way of possibility, it basically says, I'm going to take action without knowing how likely success is, but I'm going to take the action because it's possible. And if you look at the, t- you know, a one-to-one comparison, the possibility path is going to have a lower rate of success than the probability path if you're good at determining the probability. But that's a one-to-one comparison. When you actually extend it out over time, the possibility path has some wins that are so much bigger and greater and so beyond what you ever could have like imagined that it takes you on this like incredible different journey and experience. And so, so many things wow. that happened were like, well, this is possible, so I'm going to try it. Yeah. And so it took me on these wild adventures and I and I had so many different things occur and met so many different people and um if I would try to like analyze it all like you know very simply try to plan the trip in advance you could f- look at all the things that you could do before, while you're away and you could well this is probably going to be better than that because these reviews are better and we like swimming so this is probably going to be better than going hiking so we'll do that and you and you have your whole itinerary with the highest probability of success and and fun or you could just go and on day one not even know where you're going to stay and be 
because you don't know, you're open to whatever, and then something crazy, some opportunity comes up where you meet an old lady in an elevator in Cinque Terre in Italy, and she's like, well, my house is empty, it's $20, and you can stay there, and you have this massive ocean front for $20 a night, like the place that I stayed when I was in Italy, <laughs> and, and, and that would never have happened if I had my plan to get to the hotel to pay $100 a night with a little sliver of a view. Oh, my God. I am so drinking wow. this in right now. Me you too. have no idea. You, you are speaking to my heart. Um, yeah. It's it's exciting to even hear it. I can hardly contain myself just mm. listening. Wow. Um, because that whole idea of possibility is, is near and dear to me, but it's just nice to hear another soul who's pursued that path and gone mm. very far, even farther than me in that direction, mm. and just you know gotten good things from it. Yeah. You know but, what's, thank yeah, you. Wonderful. what's yeah, coming to beautiful. my mind? So beautiful. I was going to say, what's coming to my mind is um, what you're describing is rather than trusting your plan, just plan on using your trust. Oh, I you like know, it. I mean, because that, that's, that's what right you did. Damn. That's what you yeah. did. You know, Satch, that's hey, awesome. Fist bump, fist yeah. bump. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm far, too far away for a fist bump. <laughs> All right, high five. High five. <laughs> Jeez. So, wow, that's powerful. It. Whew. Yeah. Well, are, were there some, um, some tough lessons that you learned from all that? Well, yeah. Going broke. Spending all your money. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Ouch. And now, and that's why, so the year of surrender is about taking all of the things that I learned during that time of travel and folding it into not going broke, but but, but creating money and success and all that kind of stuff in, in different ways, obviously, as well. And so, and what I'm, what I'm seeing and learning from my mentor is that like my orientation towards having experiences was what had my willingness to trust the unfolding of life lead to it giving me experiences and costing me money. Mm. But if I had an orientation of trusting the unfolding of life and my orientation was contribution, then as things occurred outwardly and inwardly where I could contribute instead of where I could experience, then I would follow that. And it would be surrender into the flow of contribution. And of course, contribution is more likely to bring money in than to just put money out. It still provides an experience, but it's like your orientation is part of what, it's a dance, right? And this is what I love. Like, it's not just about the flow of life and I'm just going along for the flow. I'm in the river with my eyes closed. No, it's a dance between the structure of our mind, which we have some will over through choice and attention, and the unfolding of life. And so I could have gone through those same three years having the, the willingness to surrender to the flow of life with a desire to contribute, and it would have been a very different outcome. And so, yeah, that was, uh, it took me, I guess, until now to really realize, because actually I have to say that although I gained all that uh, insight and wisdom and, and in that trusting that flow, when I stopped and I settled in London, time to get back to work, time to make some money again, it took me a while to, to actually cross the return threshold, as Joseph Campbell would say, because okay. I still wasn't showering very much. I was wearing the same clothes every day, like, <laughs> you know, like extreme minimalism. I didn't have more stuff than it can fit in a backpack, even though I had a place to live. My hand shaking when I was trying to, to sign a six-month lease for my first uh, flat there. Um, so it took some while to get right back into it. But, but what I did is I, as a, the, the challenge in crossing the return threshold from Joseph Campbell's perspective is bringing the boon of knowledge that you gained on your journey with you across the return. Mm. And so in a way, I'm still returning because now I'm, I'm finally seeing how I can bring that with me back because I, I went back to the old ways of like, okay, I can't just listen to my inner spirit anymore and trust the unfolding. I have to like go and make shit happen and have a plan and, 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 and trust the plan instead of plan to trust. Like mm. you were saying, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, but now I'm seeing that no, actually I can bring that with me and I just have to have a different orientation towards the flow of life and, and I dance with it differently. So the same music, different dance. Mm. So are you saying that you're still returning from trips from a, a long time ago? That ended in 2009. Wow, yeah. that's yeah. a cool concept that you're yeah. still returning yeah. from those trips in the past. Wow, I like that. That's a long and powerful shamanic journey. Yeah, mm-hmm. 2018, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. John, so now, what are you doing? Now I am doing with others what Mm -hmm. I do with myself. So for the last 10, well, probably since I started traveling, I've been just obsessed with self-mastery. And so what I mean by that is looking at how I can understand who I am, realize who I am in a sense of being being aware, but also realize in the sense of authoring and creating who I am. Um, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always loved business. My highest interest in that is the human element. The highest point of leverage for any business owner is themselves, right? And, and in, within, within that, it's in their mind. Mm-hmm. And so I'm fascinated with the structure of my mind and how that creates all of my emotions and my behaviors that lead to all the results. And so I'm constantly looking at that and working on that and interested in mastering that. When I created my company eight years ago, I just called it Morgan Mastery Limited because I just needed a name. But it's interesting that that word mastery has been there the whole time. And now Mm -hmm. I'm really attentive to that word. It's like self-mastery. And so uh, I'm doing that with myself constantly. I have my own mentor right now that I'm in a two-year program with. And um, he's helping me with that. And I also have... uh, clients that I help with that. And typically they're entrepreneurs, sometimes artists, musicians, but they're always um, the creators of their life. They're kind of manifesting their destiny. They're not reporting to anyone. We have that in common, I guess you could say. And then also they have uh, an interest in being their best and mastering themselves um, and, and, and having a daily practice in that. And so people that work with me, they're typically already somebody who's journaling or listening to audiobooks constantly, and they're interested in self-reflection and working on themselves. But then we, we take it up a notch when, and I basically have conversations with people. Um, I have like two hour slots. I do that eight times a week and I listen and I ask questions and I challenge and I point things out and, and they go back into doing their work every day and with some new insight and, and people grow and they change. Wow. And when they work with you, are they working with you daily or is it a week to week kind of thing? So we speak once a week. Um, we sometimes will have contact between that if it's necessary, but most of the time that's more than enough to give them what they need to go back into their training. So I really like, it's really like an athletic coach. Like you come for your coaching session, mm-hmm. but then you go train, you go do your thing. And yeah. I just, you know, it's a little bit of a guidance on the path of self mastery. I could say, I've been recently working with a, a, a branding guy who's also a client of mine, but he's phenomenal. And, um, and he's been having me interview some of my favorite clients or best clients to work with. And one of the coolest pieces of feedback from me has been that um, the, mo- the thing that has them keep coming back and hiring me over and over again is the fact that the stuff that I'm asking them to do or guiding them to do or helping them to do is stuff that I've already done. 
And so because they can see that I've done it and it's worked for me, it gives them just that little bit of belief that has them say, okay, I'm going to do this. Mm. And so, yeah, it's, um, for me, I work with people minimum six months and often two years. Um, they're highly invested. They pay up front. They're all in. Um, and, and it's that length of time and the consistency throughout that time that generates the change. So in your experience and, you know, where you are right now, what would you say, uh, to a person who's ready to start, um, working on themselves and getting a higher level of performance, a higher level of, um, behavior out of themselves for starters, how would someone get, what would be some of the first advice you would give somebody in, so, in that sense? Yeah, I would share the distinction of working on your business versus in your business and apply that to yourself because oftentimes people think working on themselves is what actually what they're doing is working in themselves so the idea of working on your business versus in it working in it is like i'm just going to go to my job and do do the things right Mm -hmm. and to work on it is to step away and be like all right what's the strategy and start and like like who am i going to hire and write some new um Um, job descriptions and I'm working on my business genuinely doing things that are creating new business in new ways restructuring changing and people think they're working on themselves but really they're just they're reading about stuff that's working on themselves like I might for example read A Course in Miracles but not do the workbook or I read the workbook but don't actually do the exercise. I'll think about it. It's kind of like doing it, but on to the next thing. What else can I learn? Uh-huh. And so and, and you mentioned James Tripp earlier, one of my best friends who's been on your podcast, and uh, which was an awesome show, by the way. I listened <laughs> to it. Yeah. We loved it. Yeah. And, and, um, and, you know, one of the things he said about me, and I think is he can see it because it's absolutely even more true about him, is that you're one of these people that actually does the stuff. Yeah. And, and that's the point about working on yourself. It's not, don't just read the self-help book. Like I'm the guy, like if you open up the book, the self-help book, there's like highlight and underlines and notes. And like, if you open up my journal, like I'm actually doing the work. Mm-hmm. And I think that if, the moment you can see that there's a difference, that's the difference that makes the difference. If you actually are going to spend time actually working on yourself, that would be the first thing that I would say is the most important thing, like being honest, whether or not you're really doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the word congruence comes to mind. Uh, you know, when when James first mentioned you, that's kind of what he was conveying was that mm. you know he's one of the the very few people I know who really truly walks the the talk. Mm. You know, and that that it, that thrilled me. And he said that you know this deep conversation that him and I were having in the car. He said John Morgan would be right at home in this conversation right now. And as soon as he said that, I knew cool. okay, I got to meet him. I Sounds really great. It. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So that that's a great perspective of of the idea of working in something rather than working on something. And you just helped me, by the way, in cool. some aspects of my own life. Good. So thanks for that. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, one question I have is, um, how does one um, catch themselves, and how does one make some tangible changes to to mm-hmm. start to gain that perspective so that it becomes a little more natural? I mean, that seems like something that might not be easy for everybody. Catch yourselves in what? Yeah, catch yourself in, oh, I'm working in something rather than working on something. Right. You know? Um, input versus output is a, okay. is a good way. So, like, okay. if, I'm, if I'm taking stuff in, I would say that's a mostly working in myself. Mm-hmm. Of course, it adds to the, uh, the, the other stuff. Like, information helps. But mm-hmm. typically, if I'm reading, if I'm listening, I'm, I'm working in myself. Mm-hmm. And so, working on myself usually involves output. I'm doing the work of Byron Katie on paper. I'm journaling through a process. I'm doing the exercises in the way of mastery, or that's, which is a book I'm working through right now. You know, there's so many books that have like an exercise. 
And like, I guess that would be a great way to test myself. Am I, am I writing things? Is there some output outpouring? Mm. Right. Yeah. Uh, actions, right. action items that yeah. you've actually done. Yeah. And also here's a, here's an awesome one that I'm using with a lot of clients right now. This is a great um, way for you to know is to be able to test and measure the change that's happening inside my mind or inside my body. And so I'm having my clients look for what I call dark spots. And so they're recurring situations where there's an external stimulus that creates a dependable internal reaction. So every time my wife does X, I feel Y. And Y is dark. Y is not a good feeling. And so looking for a place where it's repeatable, dependable, that, you know, every time that happens, I feel this and like, okay, now let's take that and let's look, let's go in and do some work there. Whatever the process is, finding the fear, finding the pain, finding the hurt, whatever, work on that. And then how do you feel when she does that? And until you can smile and laugh and move forward and hug her because you're genuinely free, not because you're faking it, then you haven't worked on yourself enough yet. No working in yourself will change that. You must do something. And so, so I guess two answers. One is, is there some output? And is, is there a specific context that's repeatable, that, that consistently happens, that I can see that there's a change happening? Mm. Then there's some pretty good evidence you're working on yourself. That is good evidence-based mm-hmm. practice right yeah. there. I like yeah. that. That's yeah. great. That's great. Yeah. Nothing wishy-washy about that description. No. <laughs> yeah, and that's such an important thing for yeah. me. Like, I love big philosophical concepts, but mm-hmm. I also love really freaking tangible, pragmatic implementable measurable stuff as well my background is is spiritual but also computational physics man that was like my my undergrad at university so i like to make it you know real yeah Yeah. that's great watertight yes In working on yourself, um, what sort of um, what sort of meditation practices do you do? Because we're sitting on these wonderful meditation pillows, yeah. so right? I'm just curious what that life yeah. is like for you. Yeah, it varies, and it's like an, I'm, I'm very much a, uh, an explorer. So I've basically done a bit of everything. It started with Vipassana, a ten day retreat in India in 2006, I think, and so. That's kind of the foundation of my practice is just stilling the mind, quieting the mind, um, focusing on my breath, the rising and falling of it. And that's actually where I am right now. That's you know my morning practice. It's just 20 minutes or so, 20, 30 minutes of just gentle breathing and just coming back to that place of witness consciousness, familiarizing myself with and identifying myself with that so I can have that kind of object-subject relationship with my mind and thoughts. But I've explored other things like kundalini. I've tried mantras. Lots of different things, but I, I don't know if it's because I started with Vipassana that I just always keep going back to that. Mm, yeah, yeah, back to your roots. Back to my yeah. roots, yeah. I, don't, I guess it's also like, this is why I think the 10-day retreat is, is, I don't think any of you have done it, but... All four of us have Okay, it. so yeah. maybe you can relate, yeah. but I'll just yeah. say it. Like, um, to me, it, it creates um, a baseline, it, it creates a knowing that there's a depth 
to this thing called meditation and, and that mm-hmm. no matter in your daily practice you always know where you're going you know where mm-hmm. you're headed for at least you know what's possible and even though mm-hmm. I might not be as deeply centered or connected throughout life the fact that I've gone there in 10 days like I always know where I'm aiming for and yeah. so I find that to be really important mm. yeah and and in addition to those kinds of practices you're also very to back to our earlier conversation, you're, you're, you're very meat and bones. You also work out a lot and yeah. you, you, you get strong and you lift massive amounts of weight mm. and these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, so, uh, can, can you talk a little bit about, um, that, uh, relationship between those two things, that stillness and that action and that mm. going inside and yet working on your, your external body and all that. Mm. And uh, what, what might you have to share about that? Um, well, let's see where we go. Like one thing that I'm really present to um, is, is, um, I mean, I have a yin yang on the on the wall of my studio. I'm really present to like non duality and and the difference between integration and balance. And so I'm much more interested in integration. Like the yin yang is not two halves of a circle, right? It's two halves that have kind of started to melt into each other and have dots of the opposite in each other. And so what what is that? If why isn't it just two half moons? What's that? And so um, I'm always looking for that. And and for me at CrossFit, one of the things that I've kind of seen recently is like is the blending of competition collaboration into each other. And that's one of the things I'm really fascinated with. And I think that the way that I'm blending them and learning to blend them is, is, has a lot to do with my ability to be mindful of my inner experience. And so the other day when I'm running behind a guy that owns a gym who's a Navy SEAL, I can feel myself wanting to be uh, as fast as him and be able to catch him. And I catch my thinking and I notice the thoughts like, oh, I need to catch him because I need to be as strong as a Navy SEAL. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. That's a thought that's born from the idea that I need to be something that I'm not. That's not useful. What if I were to just let that go? And if, as that mm. thought starts to go, then I think, well, but what if there was still some way of being in competition that was serving me? And so I'm starting to relate as, uh, to competition in a new way, which is like, well, I can see that he's running faster. I wonder if there's more capacity in me to run that fast. And so nice. having other people... Mm ahead of me or behind me gives me access to the capacity that I have that I'm not being aware of. And so it's like, oh, there's a way of being in competition that's not about self-judgment, but it still encourages growth and it still pulls me forward. And so I'm, I'm finding a way to be competitive that's not, um, my exploration is how can I be competitive in a way that's not about not feeling good enough. And that's that folding in. And I think so it relates to the mindfulness in that way where it's like being aware of those thoughts and not being identified with them is what gives me access to even starting to fold those things into each other. Mm, Also, longevity and strength are two values of mine, but I've prioritized them where strength is second to longevity. And the reason I've done that is because by having strength as primary in CrossFit, I would have pushed myself. I've been injured. People say you get injured in CrossFit. Yeah, you can because it's complex. It's a sport. And, and I'm, I, I did, and not just once, and it's because my highest priority was getting stronger, and so I wasn't paying attention to my form and my, as much, and I was sacrificing my longevity and for strength. And it's like, well, wait a minute, what if I just change the priority around? And now I'm mindful that like, I am longevity and strength in that order. And right. so the other day I was in a race with one of the other guys and we were so close, we were like, it was like, we were just neck and neck. And to 15 reps, and I got to 13, and I was like, my form's starting to be sacrificed. The most important thing for me is longevity. So I put the weights down, and he won, and I finished like 10 seconds later. Wow, that's great. Mm. Wow. By knowing your outcome and by having the coordinates set for, for longevity rather than strength uh, as the number one, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, it, it changes all of the choices. I mean, it, it relates to what you were saying about the ego too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you didn't say the word ego, but the idea that I have to be this other thing that I'm not, or mm. or even a feeling of being less than, um, could easily come up from that comparison, mm. right? Mm. Um, it reminds me of the Indian proverb. I think it might be from the Upanishads. The first there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is. Mm. Remember that? It's it was a song also. Uh, I think um, Donovan sang it, mm. but. When you were talking about that, it reminded me of that because ego, and in my own experience of ego, of of um, doing martial arts and feeling like you know you have somebody attacking you, pushing mm-hmm. at you, punching at you, trying to pin you down, and there's a part of you that organically could experience the feeling of being endangered. Mm. There's another part of you that feels that you need to be able to defeat the person mm-hmm. from a from an ego place, mm-hmm. but then there's another part of you that could be just exploring and understanding the technique and improving mm. yourself. Mm. And what you were talking about leads to the idea of truly improving yourself and not getting in your own way by having an emotional need to be better. Yes, It's a desire for um, health, a desire for balance, a desire for self-improvement, but mm-hmm. not because you need to do it because you're less than yes. or because you need to be over the other person. Mm-hmm. That that's a, an incidental fact of mm-hmm. whether or not you beat that person in timing and all that. Mm. It's that's related to whether or not you, your body and your mind were ready to do it. Mm. It's not related to whether or not you needed to do it or push yourself beyond what your body could let you do. Yes. So I just see that um, you know, uh, in myself, I see it in students that I've had when I was teaching martial arts, um, this ego part that wants to be better. Mm-hmm. And that you, needs to be better. Yeah, needs. It mm, needs that's it. That's the part. It's, it's coveting. Yeah. It's it's lusting for it almost. So interesting that yeah. you share that because one of the things that I'm working on right now that I'm kind of exploring in my own work of self-mastery that's, that's just emerged on its own is like um, the things that I desire, I'm actually declaring to myself in the mornings that I do not need them. Huh. Because there's this paradox like uh, I have a client who's like, oh, I need a flat stomach. And it pushes it further and further away from her. And I'm helping her to see that actually it's that attachment to it that keeps it away because it creates anxiety and then you judge yourself and then you eat crap food or, you know, and it's like actually letting go of the idea that we need it is what gives us access to the behaviors that help, help us create it. And so we think throwing out the need throws out the desire, but it doesn't. And so I'm, you know, declaring things like I do not need sleep because I've got a little baby right now. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I fucking need sleep. Go to sleep. It's like, <laughs> no, I do not need sleep. And then actually it helps to relax. Then I relax and he relaxes and he falls asleep and I get more sleep, right? And so um, <laughs> I, I do not need whatever it is. I do not need control. Not that I actually want control, but, but still it's like I can ease off and I can actually have a bit more influence when I'm, when I'm not needing control. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Well, well G- JP, thank you. You just helped me again. You're welcome. Yeah, I appreciate that. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> this whole conversation is helpful. Wow. I just want to share with you guys how I'm doing that. I have an app that I love called Think Up. Think Up. Think Up. Think it's up. a great app, and it's like an affirmations app. I use it kind of differently than it's normally intended, but because um, it's for me, that their, their intention with it is about creating positive moods, and I use it a little bit differently in the sense that I'm using it to generate patterns of thought in my mind that create a substructure of being that lead to the actions that I want to take. So it's not just about feeling, it's also about action. So it's shifting my core operating system my way of seeing the world but so one of the playlists that i have here is uh um i'll just play it for you just so you can see that this is basically and i'll go out for a run the other day i've got some music in the background let's see if i can put the volume up I do not need 
I'm gonna see if we can lower the background volume. So I'm out for the run and I'm listening to that music and it's giving me a really positive feeling and I do not need 1.5 million this year. I do not need to fast. I do not need, and it's like things that I desire so much that I've created an attachment that's keeping me from taking action to produce them. But as I connect to the not needing it, it just loosens the grip a bit. I go from white knuckle to relaxed. You probably know that metaphor of like holding a samurai sword. Mm -hmm. You don't want to hold it too tight, but don't want to hold it too loose. So you drop mm -hmm. it, right? It's like, mm -hmm. oh, James talks about it. It's mm -hmm. like, you, he said he had a, um, um, a Sistema instructor. He said, you want to crack the shell without breaking the baby bird. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm. That reminds me of the legend of Bagger Vance. Same where uh, Will Smith played Bagger Vance, the old master uh, golf teacher. And he said, you know, you're squeezing that golf club too tight. He's like, you know, I always say a man's grip on his golf club is a lot like his grip on his life. Mm. You know, so See, that was, I, that was, I, I was almost going to do something naughty with that when you said that. That's just yeah. where my mind goes immediately. I know. Kung Fu grip, G.I. <laughs> Joe. It's true. Yeah. I, I just, I'm holding my hands in the steeple position between my legs right now as we're sitting here. And sometimes I'll sit in meditation this way and I'll look at how how and i'll just check in like how much am i pressing my fingers together and that's really indicative of of my of my mental state i have an orthopedic surgeon who told me that the muscles in the neck are the only ones that don't connect to the brain through the spinal column they connect directly to the brain and so your emotional state influences your neck muscles like immediately and so you know what's going on in my neck right now? Cause that's a kind of a clue to what's going on in my, in my emotional body. And so finding ways in through like physical things, like a grip on a golf club, is, I think is a great way to get to know yourself and your relationship to yourself. Absolutely. Well, um, our Taiji teacher is constantly saying, know yourself and the Tui show, the push hands practice in the martial arts that we do. A lot of it is ego work. Hmm. And so I'm so glad that we kind of, open up this part of it, you know, the idea of competition and ego and, 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 uh, need and, and so forth. Um, because we, we want to be better at what, what we're doing, whatever it is that our, our desired pursuit is, um, we have an inclination to want to improve, mm. but then how do you do that whilst not getting stuck in the idea that I need to be better? Mm. I've got to be better. Or, you know, he, he said something to me, um, which I've said before, I think is don't try to be good at Tai Chi just try to understand Tai Chi mm -hmm. because the attempt to try to be good at it mm -hmm. has a whole bunch of stuff attached to it. Why do you need to be better? Because you've been doing it longer. So you've been doing it 35 years. You should be better than the person who does it 20. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe not. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of things that, you know, flow into that aptitude, understanding, instruction, effort, you know, how much, you know, arduousness you've put into your practice, um, mm -hmm. preconceptions, uh, learnings that you've had prior to learning it. You know, there's so many mm -hmm. things that flow into whether or not you're going to get something at a deeper level or not. Mm -hmm. But the ego wants to be better or you want to show off for your teacher, show them that you're dedicated. It might be a sure. loyalty oriented. There could be a hundred reasons sure. why you need to be better at it. Mm. Um, and it's so subtle and so insidious and it's so always there. Uh, which is just another thing I love is running barefoot and working out barefoot. Yeah. Because I love the connection to the earth. But the other thing that I've noticed recently is I love... Uh, the ego loves people seeing me run barefoot and ask me about that. Right. And so I've just, you know, I, when I run barefoot, people are looking or they're saying things and I just notice the thought. It's like a body 
shows up around a corner, then a thought like shows up to meet it, which is like, oh, they're going to see me running barefoot. It's like, how <laughs> fucking cool is that? Yeah. All there has to be is like a human body that comes into my view. And then this thought shows up. It's like, wow, what's that? What's right. that about? That's interesting. And so now I'm just like, oh, noticing the thought and letting it go. And then being and like, but what else do I love about running barefoot? And it's like, mm-hmm. I love the feeling of my feet on the ground. And so I go back to the feeling of my feet on the ground. And I guess I'm enamored of those kinds of practices is like seeing those things and mm-hmm. seeing how they can change. Well, speaking of needs, uh, Tony Robbins, six human needs, right? And one of those yeah. is significance, mm. the need for significance. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, I, I love this uh, Hindu idea that the reason we feel insulted when people call us names or, or the reason our ego gets so upset when we think of ourselves as being less than or uh, like our earlier discussion about being in competition, can I run as fast as the Navy mm-hmm. SEAL, right? Is because the the ego, even though it can harm us, mm-hmm. right? It has an understanding that we are actually infinite and perfect. Mm. And so we develop this this reaction of, I don't like not being less than because I know that I truly am everything, mm. you know? And it's it's tough to battle with that one because it seems to understand that we're infinite and we don't like being finite when we're actually infinite, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then it reacts and then pulls us farther away from that infiniteness, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a tough, it's, it's, it's a tough balance there to play with us humans, you know, in okay. these human minds. Well, yeah. And when someone insults you, um, if you listen to it and you identify with the comment, it hurts. I mean, MRIs will show you that, uh, you know, verbal insults will have the same kind of damage to the brain as, you know, physical trauma. Oh, yeah. You know, it shows up the same way. But um, I'm pretty sure that if you didn't identify with it, if you didn't, you know, sort of immediately picture what it is that they're saying to you, that it wouldn't hurt. Of course. Of you course know, not. of course. We've all been that place where somebody maybe tried to insult us and we're like, that's, you know, well, you like, take think it about, seriously. Like a, kid. a kid could say, like a four or five year old kid could call you poopy head. Right. But if like, you know, somebody in your, your, your same age called you like a shithead, it's yeah. like essentially it's the same thing, but one's going to hurt. One's going to make you smile. Right. right. Yeah. 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 Or when yeah. your child says, I hate you, they don't, you know, they don't really mean it. Right. Or in that moment they meant it, but it's, it's not permanent. It's mm. not something to, to be hurt by. It's something right. to just understand that that's, they're expressing their feelings in that moment mm. uh, versus, you know, when you really want your beloved to care for you and they're angry at you and they say, I hate you. Mm. And oh boy, that just tears you apart. It hurts so much because you, you take it differently. The mm. frame's different. One of the things I love uh, is, well, I love the work of Byron Katie. I love, I love mm. Byron Katie's work. Mm. And one thing she said in one of her recent books is, the only person you are ever dealing with is yourself. <laughs> and I say that, I've been saying that to myself every single day because anytime I think I'm experiencing somebody else, I'm really just experiencing me. So I would like to say that, that anybody who's listening to this show right now who wants to, to grow, wants to be stimulated, wants to have uh, food for thought, things to chew on, ideas to work on, or who wants to appreciate watching someone else's journey unfold in a way that's really authentic, should really look up John Morgan Coaching and try to find 
um, YouTube videos, articles, uh, Instagram mm. videos and posts and pictures, um, I recommend that people follow you because uh, it's inspirational. Mm. And um, so what, what are the URLs and things like that that people would find? To, so to my, get? my URL for everything, everything social is uh, JP Morgan JR. JP Morgan it's also my JR. website, jpmorganjr.com, jpmorganjr on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. So you just put that in anywhere and you'll find me. Great. That's so awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Because um, you really are generous with the amount of information that you put out. Mm. Um, anyone who is working to push themselves to the next level could spend a lot of time reading, watching those videos, uh, yeah. listening to what you say. It's not fluff. It's stuff yeah. that's genuinely helpful immediately. If you if you read it and actually take it in and think about it and start uh, making a plan of action and then take action on yes. it, then it, that's the key, what you were that's mentioning key, yeah. a moment ago. Um, it's going to make a huge difference yeah. in, in, in anyone's life. So definitely inviting all of our listeners to do that for sure. Please do. Thank you. Yeah. And I just knew this conversation would be um, interesting for all of us and a positive experience. So thank you so much for being here and for opening up your heart and uh, being who you are, uh, as you always do, but you, you did it even more today. And I, I just feel oh. honored that, that we could share this together in this room. Yeah, likewise. Really, really. Well said, Carlos. Yeah. yeah. You're it's been really great to meet you. I'm so grateful. Thank you guys for making the drive up here, for bringing all your stuff. And, and it was really fun. Thanks for creating such a comfortable space for authenticity, too. You're drawing more of it out of me as well. So thank you. Fantastic. You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Very special thanks to our guest, J.P. Morgan. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our website, AuthenticityShow.com, for some cool bonus material. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day.